What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I'm psyched about today's episode because we're going to get into um, all the exercises that I end up doing with clients. So this is kind of based on a recent post that Ben Bruno uh, put up about um, one of his tweets a year ago. And I remember following him like when I first started in the industry and other coaches have said this before. And when you really think about it and if you really audit your um, training programs, you kind of recycle and reuse about 10 to 15 same exercises year in, year out. Sure, they evolve. Sure, there are progressions and regressions, but you utilize those 10 to 15 exercises for everyone, but then fine tune them for um, the individual's needs. So I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I should do an episode on you know, the 10 exercises that I tend to use a lot and tell you why, kind of give you some information about where it would fit in with certain uh, individuals and scenarios. And, you know, when we kind of go through this, um, the thing to remember is that every single exercise that I bring up it's not the end all be all. It's not, um, you know, you have to do these. But in my experience working with the general population, these are the ones that tend to work the best for anyone dealing with an injury, anyone dealing with, um, you know, the goals of getting stronger, burning uh, fat, gaining muscle, those things these exercises tend to kind of attack those goals. And, you know, without kind of going all over the place, maybe we can say that these 10 exercises that I use with clients are for the general population that are looking to move and feel better, that are looking to work around an injury, who are looking to lose weight, and gain muscle and just overall become a badass in the gym. And I'm going to showcase how that's going to look. So I'm going to do my little screen share. Perfect. I'm going to get my screen a little bit bigger here. Okay. So how do you even like categorize, um, where you kind of start and you know when it comes to programming i always kind of think okay if i'm dealing with general population what is like the number one thing that they all need um what they're terrible at and what would kind of hit the lowest hanging fruit first and kind of spill over into other facets of fitness And the number one thing, at least in my opinion, that I see with general population that they need and they need to work on and what they say they need is core. Like, I have never had a conversation with a client that's the general population that 
hasn't mentioned that I need a stronger core. I need to get abs and anything to do with their midsection. So knowing that it's like, okay, well maybe that becomes a hierarchy of my programming. Maybe that becomes my main focus. And that is like literally the reason why all my programs for my general population people that I train, the first superset is a core section because one, that is the one thing that everybody needs that I see because they don't have the muscular endurance and stability requirements in order to do a lot of things when it comes to everyday life. And now you're putting them into a gym setting where you need high amounts of that. And now that becomes a whole different scenario, right? If like someone is hurting their lower back on a regular basis throughout the year, you can assume that that person needs some freaking core work, right? Like that's literally like training one-on-one, like people get low back pain most of the time because they don't know how to stabilize their lumbar spine, AKA they don't have strong core. So how the hell do I, you know, create a program that emphasizes that then I'm going to create a hierarchy. And in my programming, the first things that are at the top are the most important things. So core is always the first thing. And I have done other programs where you don't start with core if they have other goals. But that's a whole other conversation that we could get into one of these days. But for today, to keep it simple, there's a couple core exercises that I tend to use a lot. And one of them being the dead bug. The dead bug is one of those exercises that um, has been around forever. Forever. But the big thing here is that a lot of people do not know how to properly engage their core. So my biggest thing is every time I train somebody and we have trouble activating certain things or, you know, especially in the dead bug, if I already have somebody that is unconditioned, not fit, going into a dead bug is probably going to trigger hip clicking, low back clicking, low back pain, and they don't really feel their abs. So how do I teach someone how to engage their core who doesn't really understand that? Because you can use every single coaching cue in the world and they still won't understand how to properly brace. So over the years, I've been like thinking like, how the hell can I you know, do this, especially like if I had 20 people in front of me, how do I teach that person how all these people to engage their core without, you know, over explaining it. And like, again, everyone wants everything quick. So how can I do that like that? And I kind of came up with this whole idea of like, you know, through the FRC, you're creating tension, you're creating irradiation and, you know, you're getting that, um, tension throughout your body and you feel it. And I'm like, well, how can I do that in a dynamic setting like a dead bug? And I was like, I got to create irradiation. And something as simple as this variation of the dead bug, where I have a yoga block, just like in this video here, wedged between my knee slash thigh into my forearm. So when I extend, 
I am pushing that block as hard as possible to create tension through that midsection, that torso, my core. And right away, people feel it. And they're like, holy shit, this is the hardest dead bug ever. And like, I can have people who have been going to the gym on and off forever that have done dead bugs before and they do this. And they're like, this is literally the hardest thing I've ever done. And the nice thing about this variation is like, no matter how fit you are, this will always be challenging because the harder you push, the stronger you get, the more force you can create, which allows you to feel it more. So this is literally a variation I now use with everybody, like everyone. And I've had so much success with it. And it's even simple where say you don't even have a yoga block, take your hand and push it into your knee as hard as possible. It's the same thing. So I was really, really happy when I came across this idea and like, you can use a stability ball, you can like use a foam roller, anything like that. But say, for example, you're a general population person and this still bugs your lumbar spine. And I have to like bring this whole idea up. It's like, how do I create this variation for someone less conditioned, uh, not as fit as someone else? So there's a couple of variations here. Say, for example, I'm just in that start position, like you see here. And maybe all I do is I push against each other, uh, the forearm and knee, and I just use the arm going back. And now I don't have to worry about my lumbar spine. Or maybe instead of extending the leg like this, I'm going to switch sides here. Bad timing. Sorry, guys. Rather than extending the leg, I have it bent and I just drop the heel down. So now I cut the lever in half. So much better, right? So there's a couple options there, but say someone that's like really unconditioned, what can I do? I could literally have both my, uh, th this foot right here onto the ground. And maybe I just do, you know, tension where I just push and relax, push and relax. And you're going to still get some good core activation through that. Something really, really simple. And this is where, you know, I have my number one exercise right now for core. And I can literally scale it up and down depending on where the person is. If you're super fit or your first day at the gym, like I have an option for you. And that's where I think a lot of people miss the mark in programming is that they're trying to always find hard ass exercises, new exercises, different looking ones to keep it, you know, interesting. But literally you have to do the same shit over and over again. And if you're going to be on the side of like, oh, it's boring and I don't really like training the same things. It's like, well, fuck, like what else do you want from me? Because at the end of the day, if you look at Olympic weightlifters or like anyone weightlifting back in the day, like before even Arnold Schwarzenegger, you didn't really have a lot of stuff to go around with. You don't have a lot of equipment, but for some reason, those people got stronger and leaner and bigger, stronger, faster, right? It's the very basics, the very fundamentals that you should practice day in, day out to get fitter. But sure, I totally get the whole, like, I need to be engaged while I'm working out. But at the end of the day, workouts are not supposed to be the fun thing that you do. Like, some days are going to be shitty. Some days you're going to be hauling your ass to the gym or down to your basement. And you're like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, you can't have perfect days 
every single day of the week when you work out or every single month, like if you really audit, like I had this conversation with a client, like a whole month of training, there's probably maybe four workouts of the entire month. If you're training multiple times a week where you're like, fuck yeah, hundred percent. I'm totally into this. I'm crushing it. I love my life. And then like the next, I don't know, 50% are just like in the middle. And then the rest are just like, I could be doing something else than this. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, dead bugs. One of my go-tos. The other one, good old bird dog. But I have a specific one that I like using. And I've brought this up on my show. This guy. A bird dog isometric. So in this position, the, the reason why the bird dog is great is that it teaches low back stability, right? Because when you, the moment you leave your arm and leg off the ground, you have only two points of contact. Now your knee and hand and technically your other foot. Anyway, two points of contact. And that requires stability of the lumbar spine and your core to work together to keep you stable. So you're reinforcing that pattern that, when you say take a step because you end up being on one point of contact when you take a step when you walk um, your lumbar spine will shift your pelvis will move your si joint's going to move and all that fun stuff but then all the musculature around it needs to be able to stabilize that movement without effing shit up so the bird dog literally is a regression of teaching your body how to stabilize in a active motion and almost every single person that i um train or have trained when i bring up the bird dog in their program they're like oh this thing it's so stupid but if you do this variation where we hold isometrically and literally as i'm doing this i'm trying to drive my fist up towards the ceiling as high as possible and that opposite knee that you could barely see here is driving up as high as possible so not only am i working low back stability and core stability in this i'm also working all the external rotators of my shoulder and i'm also working the hip lateral uh, stabilizers of the opposite hip which are two things that you need to do anything athletic lunges running walking climbing swimming you name it so it's a lot jam-packed into this exercise. Just like the dead bug, there are so many different variations to make this harder, less harder, whatever it is. But I think for the sake of time, because I feel like this episode could go on for like two hours of me talking, um, I won't get into those. Maybe what I'll do is a part two of this and I'll use the 10 exercises and give you other variations to make it easier or harder. But bird dog, dead bug. Those are two really, really, really important um, exercises that I always incorporate with um, clients, no matter where they are, who they are. Now, I'm going to add a third exercise in here for the core and what I'm going to show you is farmer carries. Actually, you know what? 
I did a whole episode of Farmer Carries, which is right here, episode 517. If you haven't watched that yet, 100%. So Farmer Carries would be another one. And all their variations, everybody should be doing them. Why? Go watch the episode or listen to it. Um, I'm going to get into rollouts. Come on, YouTube. Come on, spelling. Here we go. Load, load, load. Here we go. All right. So, tall, kneel, rollout. Why do I like it? One, you are fighting extension. So, just in general, when you're looking at training the core, you need to understand the biomechanics of how your spine works and what it's made for. It's designed to resist motion. So if you're going off of that logic, you should probably train the same way that you're designed to, resisting motion. So if my spine can forwardly flex, extend, rotate, and laterally flex, then I should probably do exercises that fight that. So just core in general, say the rollout, we're fighting extension. And when it comes to selling you know, my services and making people understand that I'm still trying to give them that aesthetic look that they're hoping for, any kind of rollout variation is going to fire up those six pack muscles that you really, really want. But I'm also teaching um, the body how to, you know, resist extension and keep this like in order to keep this um, as straight as possible, a lot of things have to happen. All the core musculature here has to activate. My glutes have to activate. All of this has to stay strong. My shoulders have to stabilize. And then all in one go, I need to push back down so my serratus is on fire to bring this into a straight line. That is a challenging exercise. And again, if I wanted to make this easier, I don't roll out as far. Maybe I only roll out an inch and two and back. If I wanted to make this harder, maybe I go into a full plank and I start doing saws. Maybe I do stir the pots. Maybe I go into an ab wheel. Maybe I use the TRX. Like there's so many different variations, but the rollout is vital, just vital for training our core. Now I'm going to throw in one more exercise. So we have our dead bug, our bird dog, our rollouts and farmer carries. That's four already. I think I might do more than uh, 10. Um, so number five, um, we're going to go into like half kneeling chops and lifts. So something really easy um, is a half kneeling. Oh yeah. Business gets its first sale on don't you just love ads on YouTube? So half kneeling anti-rotation press. So in this one, what we're going to just wait for a certain angle here. That's pretty good. Cable machine and half kneel position. When you're in a half kneel position, one, you are really challenging the hip that's down closest to the 
cable machine, all the stabilizers along with conjunction with your core muscle muscles. So every time you press out, your body is fighting rotation. So again, we're going back to functional core. Um, the moment I am pressing out into that pal off press, you are now at that point where the whole cable machine is trying to pull you this way. So core musculature has to keep me upright and my hip stabilizer has to really turn on to make sure I don't fall over. So these are all the little things that I put into my clients programs because they suck at it because they don't have those two things that I just mentioned. And it's going to transfer over to a lot of other things for us to move and feel better. There's all different sorts of types of half kneeling chops, lifts, cable chops, like you, you name it. There's so many different variables, uh, variations, sorry, that you can utilize. And again, I think this has to be a part two. So maybe this is going to be kind of like the introductory to my 10 exercises that I tend to use. So this is a staple, just hands down, you need to use it. Um, I'm pretty sure I have done another podcast about the benefits of half kneeling and tall kneeling. If not, I know for a fact that it's in my ebook. And if you haven't got it, 100% you should get it. We're going to move on because I feel I'm going to run out of time. So number six, we're getting into... Uh, we're going to get into a couple of things here. Let's get, you know what? Let's just use this deadlifts just in general. Everyone that I train will deadlift in some shape and form. In this case, this video that I have is a sumo barbell deadlift. Do I have everyone barbell deadlifting? Hell no, because most people can't do so. But the deadlift itself is so vital. So if you look at anything that we do on a daily basis, ideally, if you're picking up something heavy off the ground, you'd want to get into a hinge or some sort of squat. I'm a huge, huge fan of getting people really strong in their posterior chain, AKA your calves, hamstrings, glutes, low back, mid back, upper back, just everything. Cause it's such a huge transfer to everyday life and all the exercises that you want to do in the gym. That being said, when I train somebody, we're not doing a barbell deadlift off the bat. We're going to learn how to hinge first because most general population people don't know how to fuck the hinge at all. And then um, we're going to progress it to say a kettlebell deadlift to a double kettlebell deadlift to maybe a trap bar deadlift and then eventually get to a barbell, right? Like eventually I would love to have every single client barbell deadlifting, but sometimes it just it doesn't happen right? But there's so many other ways to get to your goals. And one of the things that I always say is like when people are kind of married to an exercise, but they know that they either hit a plateau or, you know, every time they do it, they get a flare up. 
And then I just simply ask, like, why do you want to do that exercise? And like, say it's a barbell uh, deadlift. And they'll all say like, oh, it works really well for my hamstrings and glutes. And I'm like, well, there's so many other exercises that you could do that are not barbell deadlifts that, you know, focus on the hamstrings and glutes. So like, are you powerlifting? Are you competing? No, then let's move on. Let's do something else. Like not rocket science. Anyway, deadlifting. I've done so many episodes on it and I have a lot of tutorials on my YouTube page. So that also reminds me, if you are watching this and you're not subscribed, what are you doing? Come on, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Other thing. Goblet split squat. This is number seven. Let's go YouTube. Ooh, we got another ad, you guys. Here we go. All right, goblet split squat. Just such a foundational exercise. So I'm gonna pause it here. One, I feel that anytime I start with a general population person, they're not ready to do lunges just yet. If you look at what we kind of focused on just in the core section, there's a lot of hip stability stuff and core stability stuff, which are two things that require a huge demand when you're lunging. How many times have you done lunges or you've seen people do lunges where they're kind of wobbly all over the place and they can barely you know, stay upright? Hip stability and core stability. So how can I utilize the scientific principle of specificity when I can't stabilize myself in a lunge position? So why not I eliminate one of the balance and stability um, components, which is locomotion, which is what lunges are, and focus on building the specific muscles involved in the lunge, here's our split squat. Now let's layer something on top of it even more. This is why I don't like doing split squats with dumbbells by our side. I like the goblet position because the nature of the goblet, one pushes you in the direction um, where the body needs to be because if I have a heavy enough load here, me tilting forward or rounding my shoulders too much, I'm going to end up coming off my center of mass and falling forward and your body's going to naturally fight that off and stay upright in a better position. So now that I'm focusing on the rule of specificity with the muscles involved in lunging and targeting them more effectively and um, efficiently and loading it, I'm now building a like bulletproof or ironclad body, as I say, in this position. And this is what I do with every single person. I don't even care if you are advanced. If I gave you a hundred pound dumbbell in a goblet position, for sure the shit that that's going to be challenging for you. And maybe you can do it, but let's see if you can do it for 12 to 15 reps per side. That's definitely going to smoke you. 
If that's still not challenging enough, let's hold it isometrically for like 15 seconds aside with that weight. That's going to definitely smoke you. Like this is the thing where people get to a certain point and like have an ego of training that they're beyond the basics. Like you should go back to the basics and see if you can make it even better. Like just because you've been going on and off in the gym for years doesn't mean you're beyond the fundamentals. Like I've been working out for, I don't know, 15 years. The exercises that I do right now are still not good. Like I can improve on them, right? It's always going back to the fundamentals and getting really good at them, more efficient. So then you can see the progression. So split squats, one of the most underrated exercises for sure. Talking really fast in this episode. So the other thing here too is in order to regress this, something is doing like an assisted split squat is very, very simple to do in this situation. But uh, yeah, most people don't ever think of maybe I should do bar uh, like split squats, but no. Um, let's move on to the next one. So we have seven, right? Dead bug, bird dog, farmer carries, uh, half kneeling, chops, lifts, you name it. Uh, da, 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 da. What else did we do? Deadlifts. I feel like we're missing something. Can't think about it right now, but we are on number seven for sure. Similar to the deadlift, we are doing the single leg deadlift. So I could go on and on and on about the importance of learning how to do a single leg deadlift. But in this case, if I, ah, I need to freeze frame this. My joke in the clinic is that if I could get every single patient single leg deadlifting with like a 45 pound dumbbell or kettlebell, all their issues would go away. So let's look at the demand of a single leg deadlift from the bottom up. Foot stability, ankle stability, knee stability, hip stability, low back stability, grip strength, shoulder stability, core, and then we have hamstring strength, glute strength, adductor strength, lateral uh, hip stabilizers. All in one. This is probably like the holy grail of exercises in my opinion. And I can't find an exercise that is more sport specific, air quotes, and functional than this. So much bang for your buck. And I literally have every single person doing the single leg deadlift, even if they start progressing, progressing, there's so much other variations you can do. And same thing with like the split squad. If I gave us the strongest person that I train a 60 pound dumbbell to do a single leg deadlift, that's going to be challenging. Like when I do a 60 pound single leg deadlift, fuck, I am working hard to get down and back up. Like that's really challenging. 
So huge payoff with this. And a lot of times when people are plateauing in certain lifts, like a deadlift or back squat, you throw in a a cycle or two of single leg deadlifts that are heavy, you're going to see huge, huge, huge changes. All right. Got to make sure that I don't go over time here. Another classic. TRX rows. I can't find a better pulling exercise for the general population. So the very nature of a TRX, being able to choose whatever angle you want to go on, because how the TRX uh, works is that the lower you go with your feet, the harder it is. The higher up you are, the easier it is. So literally no matter where you are in your fitness and health journey, you can always use the TRX row. You can play around with tempo, you can play around with reps. And the reason why I love the TRX row is that it challenges, again, that posterior chain. Like digging my heels in allows me to engage my glutes, engage my core, and then adding, like if you look at this video, the way I row, I add a rotation with my hands and shoulders love rotation. The more you can rotate your shoulders, the better they're going to be. So throwing that all together, and like this is the other thing too that a lot of people don't think about it. In order to stay in this position, my neck has to stabilize quite a bit. So if I am now working shoulder stability, uh, shoulder stability, neck stability, back strength, and posterior endurance, it's one of those exercises that are really, really, really challenging and will continue to be challenging as you progress. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, Raph, you haven't said anything about pressing like WTF. I do pressing with clients, don't worry. But a little bit different. So my big thing is any kind of unilateral exercise, big fan of. Now, if this can load, I absolutely love doing a single arm dumbbell bench press. So the very nature of this movement, as I'm coming down, My core has to work again. And what did we discuss earlier? Every general population person needs more core. As the weight's coming down, my core has to fight that rotation and press. And my shoulder has to stabilize. My grip has to coordinate with it. And I'm getting more muscle activation, more fibers being used, more fibers being torn apart. And that's going to create more change faster than just doing a barbell bench press. Does barbell bench press have a benefit? Yes, it does. But when I'm dealing with general population people that have one shoulder shittier than the other and weaker than the other and are looking to burn more calories at the same time, unilateral work tends to hit all those things and you can create more Um, specificity again in that situation because 
you grabbing something or grabbing your kid with one arm or trying to like pull your suitcase at the airport, all single arm, single leg stuff happens every single day. So why not train it that way? And say, if you decide to play hockey, decide to play golf, decide to play soccer with your kids, those are all sports that are on one leg and use one arm at a time. Like it's not rocket science. All right. So I think we are at number eight so far. So I'm going to give two more exercises that I use a lot. So because we are on the topic of pressing, I also like pressing heavy. And the landmine is one of those things uh, let's just play the tutorial. So with almost every single, um, and hopefully I have you muted, every single client that I train has some jacked up shoulders where they shouldn't be pressing overhead. And when I tell clients that, they get kind of worried, like, oh, like I really like pressing. Like, am I going to get weak if I do it? No, but there's other ways to um, utilize those same muscles, but not limit yourself to, um, you know, doing anything overhead. So with the landmine, the nature of the angle, which is around a 45 degree angle, allows you to still press similarly to an overhead press without the wear and tear of your um shoulder joint because a lot of times if I can't do this without any kind of compensations compensations then I'm going to have a huge risk for injury so if you look at the landmine how I press so let's take a second here as I explained to create irradiation when I get to the top this is the this is the, this is the goal this is like this is it when I press in that 45 degree angle when I get to the top, this barbell is now unstable. So guess what has to stabilize? The shoulder and the shoulder blade to ensure that this does not fall over from left to right. So even though I can load this as a strength exercise to really develop some great physiological changes, I'm also utilizing this as a rehab exercise, right? So again, it's one of those things where I am putting two and two together that um, most people don't think about when it comes to training is like, how can I train around an injury? This is one of those exercises. So I'm a huge component of the landmine for pressing and all other variations. Now, realizing the time, I'm going to give you one more exercise. Hopefully have... So this is going to be like a bonus because there are several exercises in this is the daily cars routine. I get every single person to do controlled articular rotations, which is basically a fancy way of saying you're going to move your joints through the entire range of motion is designed. Our joints are designed to move. When we don't move them, bad things tend to happen. 
So it's in our best interest to move the joint so we can give it nutrients through the synovial fluid to have, oh, my arm has no tattoo on there. Look at that. Anyway, um, in order for our, you know, um, joints to improve, we need to move them. So I always give the examples like our shoulder. If I'm only using my shoulders for texting on my phone, going on my laptop and grabbing a cup out of the cupboard, then maybe my synovial fluid is only kind of going into the front of the shoulder capsule. But then what about all of this stuff back here? Because our shoulder can do all these other things back here and we never train that. The only time we kind of train our shoulder back here is when we literally drop our phone between our car seat and we like reach down to kind of like grab it and then like we like really jar it down and then we like pull our whole neck and then we we're like this for the rest of the day and then we're kind of fucked. We need to train all of the different ranges of our joints in order to keep them healthy and that becomes their foundation to do all the stuff that we want to do in the gym. So cars, neck, shoulders, scapulas, wrists, elbows, T-spine, hips, knees, ankles, and toes. All those things need to move every single day. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. All right. And I don't know why this is super laggy, but I'm going to stop that, stop this, and end it here because I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> but those are essentially the 10 exercises that I do with every single person. I think I will do a part two to this where we can kind of break those down and show different variations. Um, maybe I even go with the cars routine of like different variations of what you can do based on X, Y, and Z. But that's it for me, you guys, because that was a lot of information. If you have any questions about this episode, feel free to reach out. Remember, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram, subscribe to this YouTube channel, and share this podcast with your friends and family. That's it for me, you guys. Until next time.